Thomas, first of all, thanks for being here today. Uh, Thomas, Thomas is new to this, and uh, I've only got one podcast on him, so we're both, uh, you know, kind of on a learning curve here, and we're going to have some fun today, but we appreciate you coming and speaking with us. So uh, for some time now, uh, Thomas and I have been talking about how we can increase prayer in the life of the average local church in our conference. And I was remembering today Superintendent Bonnie, uh, and we're talking 30 years back, and his State of the Work report uh, made it all about what he called more and better prayer. I'll never forget that State of the Work report. And um, so I thought there would be great value in inviting Thomas to come in and to once again tell the story of his leadership at the Jackson Church when a significant emphasis on prayer took effect. Now, a lot of our pastors have heard this, but the truth is a lot of our younger pastors have never heard the story. So we've invited Thomas to come in and to begin the conversation telling the Jackson story when he was a pastor there. And then after we've heard that particular part of the story, uh, (laughs) we're already having fun here. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about the boot camp for intercessors. So Thomas, you mentioned uh, just a few moments ago that you know, you went into the Jackson Church as a new pastor. There were some issues, as all churches have. And it was probably 10 years in where some greater clarity about prayer. Why don't you just unpack that for us so we could get a sense of the context of what was going on in the life of the church there? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, and a prologue to that is that prayer, uh, in almost 50 years of ministry now, prayer has always been a significant part of my emphasis and what life in my churches has been about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had kind of a two-pronged emphasis, prayer and evangelism. Uh, but you've got to have prayer before you have evangelism or anything else. So prayer has been a significant part of that. Yeah, I went to Jackson in August of 1987, and the church had gone through a pretty rough time. So when I got up to preach my first sermon there, I was uh, really facing a bunch of beaten up and beleaguered believers. Hmm. So what was I going to preach on? Uh, I preached on prayer. I could think of no better subject for, uh, you know, an embattled, embittered congregation, deeply wounded people. And what I told them this morning that morning was that however long I remained there, two years, 12 years, 20 years, turned out to be 18, (laughs) but however many I remained there, when the day came for me to move on, it was my hope people would say the hallmark and high mark of my ministry at the JFM was prayer. Uh, At the close of the service, I opened the altar, which was quickly filled with wounded and broken seekers, Mm -hmm. and the recovery was on the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ten years later, through the grace of God and the faithfulness and openness of his people and a lot of prayer, uh, we had mostly healed from the old wounds, had undergone a few necessary paradigm shifts in mentality and ministry, experienced a strong sense of unity and harmony, became aggressive in outreach and evangelism. Uh, We were... uh, We had more than doubled in size, gone multi-staff and multi-services, but in spite of of an unflagging emphasis on prayer, we still were not where we needed to be until, so this is like 1987, and one Tuesday morning, I was browsing in the local Christian bookstore, which was owned by a couple in our congregation. I remember that. And... uh, 
I came across a brand new book that was out titled Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I'm sure many people listening to this have heard of that book. And uh, it was written by Jim Cimbala, pastor of New York's uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And up until then, all I'd ever known about Brooklyn Tabernacle was its famous choir. Uh, but I bought the book. I took it home. I read the first couple chapters just before going to bed. And I found myself so excited about how prayer revolutionized and revitalized Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, that when I tried to go to sleep, I couldn't sleep. I just kept thinking about the book. So I got back up, finished reading the book in the middle of the night, and then got down on my knees and, and prayed until breakfast. The next day, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning, when the bookstore opened, I was waiting at the door, and I asked the owners how many copies of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire they had in stock. They told me around 20, and I bought them all. I mean, God bless them. They gave me a 20% discount, <laughs> or rather the church. And uh, that night, at the close of our Wednesday night midweek prayer meeting, I announced I had 20 copies of a book on prayer that had deeply affected me, like no other book on prayer ever had. And uh, I said, as soon as we're dismissed, I'll give a copy to anyone who wants one. First come, first serve. First 20 people get a copy. Uh, after you've read it, you can keep it or pass it on to someone else in the church. And within a couple of minutes, every single copy had been snatched mm -hmm. up. And then, that weekend, uh, my wife and I went to New York, to Brooklyn Tabernacle. And spent Saturday and Sunday there meeting the author, the pastor, talking to people in the church, being part of the ushers' pre-service prayer meeting. Get that? The ushers had an actual prayer meeting, not a token prayer, an actual mm -hmm. prayer meeting prior to the service. And then we attended the service that had not one but two full-blown extended altar prayer times before it was all over. Uh, after I was back home then in Jackson, I learned that not only had those 20 people that had taken the books read them, they were being passed around and around again and again. So a couple weeks later, when I asked during the morning services for a show of hands of those who'd gotten and read Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, nearly 100 hands went up. Wow. And, uh, you know, this is really a God thing. I mean, it was just the intersection of where we were at and what the Spirit wanted to do. Just, uh, you know, the Lord uh, just brought it on. Uh, and after that, that's when things started happening fast. Mm -hmm. uh, every, as every aspect of our church became ripped by prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of our people who had been spiritually stuck, I mean, stalled, got turned around, turned on, and turned loose. Morale increased. There was heightened expectation and excitement. Uh, a, a new spirit of love and unity, a new spirit of love and unity emerged that I would never have believed possible when I first went there 10 years before. There was finally complete healing from the old wounds of division. We started growing like gangbusters, seeing new converts nearly every single week. And uh, over the next few years, we more than doubled the size of the building, kept adding on to the parking lot, uh, experienced a strong sense of mission and vision. Our influence in the area was greatly increased. That We became a major force for God and the gospel in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
eight years after Jim Simula's book uh, and prayer revolutionized our church, when my 18-year run there came to a close, uh, as I assumed the role of conference superintendent, we were seeing some 700 in worship each Sunday. Uh, when I first went there, we were under 200. Uh, today, they continue to grow. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've hit 800 and beyond. Yeah. And uh, I remembered then how 18 years before, on my first Sunday there as pastor, I said, however long I remain, when the day came to move on, I was hoping the hallmark and high mark of my ministry at that church would be remembered as prayer, and there it was. Hmm. Uh, that vision God had birthed in my heart had become a reality. And not only that, but through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, we had broken the church's decades-long repeated cycle of division occurring, the pastor leaving under a cloud, decline resulting with the offended departing and a wounded remnant left behind playing the blame game and turning on each other. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new church. Yeah. And it's just, and the, the results of it, the, the fruit of that foundation of prayer continue to uh, mm -hmm. be seen mm -hmm. uh, in that church today. Yeah. You know, Symbola's big point is uh, Jesus' words, my house should be called the house of prayer. And uh, we, we realize that. Mm -hmm. um, Great story. Thanks for walking through that. I, I remember particularly as a pastor, I was at Ipsy at the time when you shared this at one of our resourcing days, uh, uh, the evangelistic component that you tagged on with how you closed the service. And and we started, I mean, I remember I even called you one day. I said, walk me through that. I had more questions, and you did some great coaching for me. And we put that into place. In my last two years at Ipsy, we were regularly seeing people coming to faith in Jesus at the close of our services. And, uh, I mean, just an exciting, exciting part of uh, how that church began its shift through the years as well. So, Thomas, uh, we have pastors, lay leaders all across the conference that are going to be coming across the podcast. Before we talk more about the particular boot camp for intercessors, what kind of word of coaching encouragement would you give the leaders who will be listening to this now? I mean, you've told the story. Now, maybe an exhortation is appropriate or, you know, uh, uh, an encouragement that would come to mind. We, our churches need this kind of message. So speak into that, if you would. Well, I think that, um, I think one thing is that uh, in our churches, and especially as leaders, we need to view prayer as essential, mm -hmm. um, you know, not optional beyond incidental, more than invaluable, but indispensable. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody believes prayer is important, uh, but there's a difference between believing prayer is important and believing it's essential. Mm -hmm. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, John Wesley, in our own uh, heritage, uh, said God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Right. And uh, that's interesting. That there are things God wants to do, but... For some reason, and I don't know why he handles it this way, <laughs> but for some reason he wants us to ask. I think it was Billy Graham who said that um, that heaven is full of the answers to unasked prayers. Hmm. I remember that quote. Yep, yeah, it's there, and uh, uh, but uh, we 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 need to ask. I remember one time after we got rolling with prayer at JFM, 
uh, one of my laymen came up to me one Sunday and he said, he said, Pastor, you emphasize prayer so much, I'm afraid you're making it a substitute for action. And I responded, um, you know, generally we think of our best comebacks three hours later, yeah. but I was on my game that day, or the spirit was <laughs> the spirit was there, because when he told me he was afraid I was making prayer a substitute for action, I said, prayer is not a substitute for action, it is an action for which there is no substitute. Hmm. You know, prayer, prayer is, people think of prayer as passive, but it's, I mean, it is the height of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old Corey Tenboom quote is, prayer your spare tire or your steering wheel? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. When it's your spare tire, you only use it for emergencies. Yeah, you know. But when it's your steering wheel, it's um, it's essential. One quote that really motivates me a lot comes from Peter Kreeft, and he said, "I strongly suspect. You have to listen to this carefully. I strongly suspect that if we saw all the difference even the tiniest of our prayers make, and all the people those little prayers were destined to affect." And all the consequences of those prayers down through the centuries, we would be so paralyzed with awe at the power of prayer that we would be unable to get up off our knees for the rest of our lives. Hmm. I mean, think, did you really hear that? And every time you and I pray, you really pray, I mean, really, are in prayer, we have no concept what we're setting in motion. Hmm that is going to be answered in ways we may never see or know about until heaven, and that might continue on for, for years, mm-hmm. for years. Um, you know, the uh, prayer is essential. The Bible is a primer on prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just loaded with stuff on prayer. It's, it's full of prayers. It's calls to prayer. It's reasons to pray. It's instructions on praying. It's stories of people praying and stories of God answering their prayers. Lush is wonderful, inspirational scripture uh, quotes and instructions uh, on prayer. It's just absolutely essential. You know, I, I can't remember who said it. He said, prayer isn't another iron in the fire. Prayer is the fire. Hmm. It's not preparation for the battle. It is It is. It is uh, the battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's hard work. I mean, if prayer is all the wonderful things we say it is, then it's it ought to be easy to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, everybody ought to just be doing it. Well, it's not. It's hard work. And you know, I think this is really uh, an important point. I think you need to say that right up front. Here's how, when prayer got rolling at JFM, uh, and I would promote prayer meeting and other prayer things. See, everything became prayer during those years at our church. Our, our choir opened up its choir practices with a prayer meeting and sometimes never got to the music. Hmm. Every Sunday school class considered itself first a prayer group. Hmm. Children's ministries, youth ministries, all closed with a significant uh, prayer time. And uh, there were lots of opportunities to pray. Uh, We just were always, any new way we could come up that could involve people in praying, we did. Mm -hmm. And I I could give lots of practical ways that we did that. But one of the things I would tell people when encouraging them, especially to come to our midweek prayer meeting, is I would would tell people... uh, some of you shouldn't come to this. Uh, it's hard work, and you're not ready for it. You know, d- don't come unless you are prepared to work hard. Mm. Uh, so stay away. <laughs> you know, if you think this is just kind of a fuzzy wuzzy funzy time, uh, B.J. Wilhite. I have no idea who the guy is, but I love this quote. 
He said, the work of intercessors is a lot like working for the phone company. Some days we dig holes, some days we plant poles, some days we string wire, and some days we make contact. <laughs> He's right. We have to tough it out through all the hole digging, pole planting, wire stringing, hard work, and difficult labor to get to those times when we make contact and know it and feel it and the electricity is there and the answers are, are apparent. It's uh, just plain hard work. Hmm. Good words. Thank you. So uh, let's make a shift now. Uh, some months ago, you and I sat down and I, I asked uh, about your willingness to be involved based upon, uh, you know, frankly, your expertise in the topic. I mean, you're, you don't just teach it, but you really modeled it as a leader. And I've asked you to come in and how can we help our leaders and our churches in their local context engage more deeply with God in prayer? And uh, so out of that, you've actually put together... Um, uh, what you've called a boot camp for intercessors. I'm aware that you've already uh, done this uh, weekend with the Stonehaven Church. You've got a couple of invitations, some of our churches coming up. But uh, we referenced this in our State of the Work report that uh, we want to put more resources into the hands of our leaders in our local church context in regards to prayer because I think prayer is a little bit like that. Uh, you know, you, you get the turn of the wheel and you get that first spark. And I think... Um, I think we need to really recover th this particular part of the work. We haven't been emphasizing it enough in recent years. So you put together this boot camp for intercessors, four parts, enlistment, deployment, embattlement, and engagement. And we want to get you on the road doing some weekends here in the next conference year in your already full schedule of preaching and teaching across, I think, the known world. <laughs> but, uh, we're, you know, you've done some great work here, and uh, I'd like to have you just spend a few minutes and walk through, introduce uh, us to what this looks like and what it could look like in a local church context if you were invited to do it. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I don't know why I picked up on the military metaphor, um, I thought of different approaches, but that's what kind of seemed to work. And uh, it's it's based on f four sessions, four teaching times, which can be structured. In fact, in the place I've already done it and the ones coming up, they're scheduled differently, but basically it takes place on a weekend. You know, it can be a session Friday night, two on Saturday, a final one on Sunday morning, but basically the final one would probably be in the Sunday morning service because of the nature of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first session is on enlistment, and I call that basic training for prayer warriors. Uh, and uh, I just thought it would be good to start out with some foundational principles of prayer. Some, uh, you know, what are some keys in God's Word uh, that are, you know, and it's presumptuous of me to think that uh, I am going to, in any one session, teach all of the basics of prayer in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. But I, I decided to pick out what I, I felt were just a foundational key that you can uh, build off of. So mm -hmm. that's enlistment and the, the basic training uh, for prayer warriors. And then deployment is the army that marches on its knees, and that's the local church in prayer. And uh, I, I tell a little bit about the Jackson story, uh, some of what I shared a few minutes ago, but then some more detail and things we learned from that and how to uh, how to apply it. Because, um, you know, I, I think, Superintendent, you're right. Our churches have got to, I mean, without prayer, we got nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you know, we have all the machinery. We could have the latest, greatest, everything, great preachers, great praise teams. Podcasts. All the, yeah, <laughs> all, the, all, the, <laughs> all the cool stuff in the world. But with, without prayer, I, I, I don't think that the real, mm-hmm. the, the, the real thing, you know, it's the old saying that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main yeah. thing. And the main thing is, is prayer. Mm-hmm. I often remind myself, you're only as strong as your prayer life. Mm. And I think that's true for the church as well. Mm-hmm. And the prayer is how we get the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which mm-hmm. is what we want. Yeah. So the army that marches on its knees is uh, the local church. The, uh, the And then the third session or teaching is, I call it embattlement, God's SWAT team. SWAT stands for Spiritual Warfare Attack Team. And uh, it's a teaching on... Um, uh, on spiritual warfare. I don't think we can ignore this. It's mm-hmm. tough. Prayer is hard work, and this is the hardest work. Uh, you know, it gets into tearing down barriers and walls mm-hmm. and building up hedges and uh, just uh, entering into serious, tough, unrelenting, time-consuming, demanding prayer uh, to defeat the enemy uh, and to bring victory in people's lives mm-hmm. uh, and our own. And then the last one uh, section, a segment I call engagement, and that's uh, ready, aim, pray. You know, there's just no good reason not to pray. So the last session is targeted on um, moving into uh, serious praying and prayer life. Mm-hmm. Um, every one of these four sessions is ended with an opportunity for prayer. Uh, for the sake of people le- that may be a part of the congregation or audience that's there less experienced with prayer, uh, the first session, it's pretty non-threatening. And mm-hmm. then each section, each session, it gets deeper. The third session, we, we actually d- do some uh, warfare praying. At least I try to lead in that for people who are new to it or maybe even uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fourth session, it's just wide open to try to draw people into uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know in, into praying specifically yeah, yeah. to start then and there and keep it up yeah it seems like you know as, as we've interacted as pastors with uh, our people in our churches and superintendents in our conference sometimes it feels like some of the people you're talking to have never graduated to the next step in prayer they, you know, they they are still at a very rudimentary level. They don't feel comfortable praying out loud. They don't quite get prayer. Well, yeah, prayer is good, but we got to do acts. I mean, some of this is the spiritual nature, I think, of uh, just a blindness or a dullness to the power of prayer and the forces of darkness, which would obscure the power of prayer in people's eyes. So I think that that's in your third segment here in Battlement. We talk about spiritual war- warfare, probably one of the greatest ways in which the enemy comes against us is in this way, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but a- absolutely. I, um, you know, I've, I've studied a lot lately about, uh, you know, we talk about building or praying hedges of protection around people. And I don't know, I'm afraid some people may get kind of weirded out by the idea mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But um, I have done, I have done more of that in, uh, the last couple of years than I ever had in my life. Mm. And uh, I just, I think there's a lot to it, but I think there needs to be in some some sense in it. You know, we'll, we'll pray a hedge of protection around somebody, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, hedges don't grow by being ignored. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a hedge, you got to weed it, water it, cultivate it. Uh, mm. And so when I pray a hedge of protection around somebody, uh, I daily revisit them and continue to uh, to cultivate the hedge. Mm. And uh, consequently, well, I have some pretty long prayer lists that I tend to. My hedge of protection list, I, I usually keep fairly well pared down. I think I have seven on it now. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the perfect number. So mm-hmm. I think I just have seven on it now because it takes a lot of time, investment, energy, emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife helps me pray for those uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a knack to praying it in the first place. Mm-hmm. But uh, hedges work. I mean, the probably the only big biblical precedent for hedges is Jonah, Jonah 1.10, you know. But think about it, it works because mm-hmm. Satan complains to the Lord that he can't get at Job because he's protected by God's hedge. Yeah, right. Uh, so, uh, so hedges work. But that's just one aspect of um, uh, of spiritual warfare. Uh, for me, even more basic than that was a time I was just just incredibly broken and burdened uh, for for a loved one, and was just driven to. I mean, the the first time I prayed for them about something, I remember falling flat on my face in, in a room at home and staying there for an hour and a half, mm-hmm. just crying out and praying for them. Mm-hmm. And when I got done, I thought, well, I thought I'd done spiritual warfare before, but uh, this must be what it's really like. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, yeah. So I remember when I sang in choir at Spring Harbor uh, College years ago, our choir director said after, I think we had an hour and a half hour, 45-minute rehearsals twice a week, said you ought to be physically tired if you're singing well. And what I'm hearing you say is that when you're really doing some deep prayer work, there's there's uh, an energy flow out of you. I mean, you're exerting energy in some physiological ways, probably some emotional, mental ways, as well as some spiritual ways that you, you're going to feel some fatigue from really engaging at a deep level of prayer. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Yeah. 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 Any pastor that's that's done a prayed with people at the altar over human hurts, yes. maybe done a service of prayer for the healing of human hurts, and people come up and you anoint them, and you, and you pray for them for whatever uh, whatever hurt or wound mm-hmm. exists in their life. Uh, any pastor that's done that knows how afterwards you're just totally drained. Yeah. Totally drained. Mm-hmm. Just from a few minutes after a service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you go much beyond that, especially in personal prayer or small group prayer. Um, yeah, yeah, does a number on you. So, uh, if a pastor, if a pastor were to invite you and say, you know, Thomas, I'd love to have you come to my church and let's get something on the date on the calendar, date on the calendar. Uh, I believe when you were at Stonehaven, they they were doing a forty day campaign of sort. I know a number of our churches do these annually. And you and I had a conversation some time ago about whether it would be best to maybe start with something like this or end the campaign uh, with something like this. But uh, tell us what, you know, obviously the pastor knows his or her context. But what was it like at the Stonehaven Church when you did this? I don't remember if it was, be- I think it was after. No, it was before. Oh, it was, it was before. before. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I had anticipated that uh, a church would use boot camp to pick up or to, to kick off 
mm-hmm. uh, 40 days of prayer. Uh, but uh, the, George Houston, the pastor at, at Stonehaven, wanted 40 days to lead into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to admit, after we, after we had done it, uh, when I saw the response of the people and the results, especially our closing prayer time on Sunday morning, uh, there was some real wisdom in his mm. building up to it. Now, he's done things to continue the emphasis, mm-hmm. but he he was sure it needed to build up to it, and it, it worked. It did. Now, of the couple of churches I have lined up, um, I think one of them is going to use it to kick it off. Okay. And uh, I haven't talked with the other pastor yet about that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we just set up the date and all, um, and we're still working on how to schedule the weekend exactly. Uh, so we haven't gotten into that. So I, I would say you're right in suggesting the pastor, the pastor knows his people the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another uh, ingredient that we've discussed, um, and I think of what I feel led to just make an invitation uh, ten days before our annual conference the last two years, we had a little two-minute video called a prayer uh, off of a passage. I think almost always it was in Acts. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, so let's pray X. We would love as a conference to develop a 40-day prayer resource for churches. And we know mm-hmm. some pastors are doing that. Uh, there's all sorts. Rick Warren has 40 days of prayer. The Chelsea Church has gone through that recently and felt that was valuable. But uh, we would love to think that maybe there's a, a, a prayer curriculum, 40-day prayer curriculum that we could develop, and maybe we could have pastors and lay leaders in our conference actually write, uh, you know, a script for a particular day regarding a different topic. But if someone's lis- listening to this now and is thinking, I'd love to have a hand in that, we, we would welcome that conversation to give guided prayer, either the 40 days before or the 40 days afterwards, something that we could furnish on our learning portal, on our website, um, that could add in more value to the prayer experience mm-hmm. and provide a real prayer guide. So uh, you know our email address. Make sure to get a hold of us if uh, that's something you'd like to talk more about with us. Yeah, you know, the uh, at Jackson, during as we geared more and more up for prayer, we did a thing on 40 days of prayer based on 40 prayers in the Bible. And that was, uh, I still have that list somewhere, that was uh, uh, effective. Um, Now let me share one other thing. It's kind of going back, but you're saying this popped into my mind. After we had gotten into prayer there, uh, early on in our fresh wind, fresh fire thing, as, as prayer was just taking off, I announced one Sunday morning that uh, I felt the Lord was leading me to preach on prayer and that I was going to preach on it every Sunday until he told me to stop. And uh, I remember thinking, well, how long is this going to go? You know, I'm probably going to say everything there is to say about prayer in a month. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I thought it would be, you know, maybe several weeks at the most. It was several months, every Sunday, several months with different things from Scripture uh, on prayer, and then finally, when I told him that I I felt that I was released from that, um, I, and I thought there would be you know great sighs of relief and cheers and applause. Okay, now at least we can get on to something else. <laughs> I had many people express to me their disappointment I was stopping so soon. Hmm. So you know, there's a real hmm. there's a real hunger for learning and. Uh, Everybody, everybody 
wants prayer to be a big thing in their life, but and in the life of the church. Yeah. Uh, but we don't always know what to, where to go with it, how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I'd love to be able to serve through this boot camp or any other way. Great. Thank you. Well, Thomas, it's uh, always a pleasure to have the conversation. I always love hearing the stories of how God's worked in and through your leadership. And uh, you have our respect and our gratitude for your years of service as not only a pastor on our team, but as our superintendent for eight eight years. And even today, uh, I said to someone the other day, um, you know, I, I hear from different panels. I've got Thomas filling in the pulpit, Tom's doing a revival here, whatever. And I tell people all the time, I've said to my wife, that how grateful I am that Thomas is continuing to be of good health and wonderful ministry in our conference and, of course, beyond. And uh, you're a gifted leader in our church, and we really value you. And we're grateful for your continuing role in this prayer emphasis that we're trying to develop better as a conference. So thanks for coming in today and spending this time over the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah.